when you preach through a book of the Bible, like I'm preaching through the Gospel of Mark, uh, you just come to passages that you think, hmm, boy, I hate to kind of preach on this. That's what I'm doing today. I've come to a passage, and it's about divorce. And, I, you know, here, let me just say a couple of things. Number one, God really, really wants us to be joyfully happy. Did you know that? God is for us. And everything that he created, everything that he designed, he designed for two reasons. One, to glorify him, and secondly, to enhance the joy of those who are in his creation. And uh, John Piper says it this way, God is most glorified in us when we're the most satisfied in him. And that's true. But there is nothing in life that I know of that causes more heartache, brokenness, and pain than when a marriage comes to an end. Isn't that true? And uh, the reason that uh, this is hard to preach on in a lot of places is because probably just about half of the people in most congregations in America today have gone through the heartbreaking, painful experience of seeing a marriage break up and dissolve. Sometimes it's because of infidelity. Sometimes it's because of abandonment. Sometimes it's because of cruelty. Sometimes it's for a variety of reasons. But uh, but there is nothing that I know of really except maybe the death of a child or the death of a spouse that is any more painful than when a couple comes to a place in their marriage where they realize that we can't stay married and they choose uh, sometimes it's one that makes the choice and sometimes it's both of them together that make the choice that uh, that it's it's over so I want to read this passage to you out of Mark chapter 10 this morning the first 12 verses then I want to make some comments on it that I think will be a little different maybe than what you've heard before a lot of times when I've heard sermons pertaining to marriage and divorce it comes across more like shaming or guilting or condemning or judging people who have gone through one of the greatest pains in life. And I don't want to do that this morning. As a matter of fact, I want to say right up front that some of the people the closest to me in my life have gone through the pain of divorce. So I know from close family relationships just how broken-hearted that experience can be. And I know some that have tried desperately to prevent it and have pleaded for it not to happen, but it happened anyway. So uh, this will be a little bit, uh, a little bit different message for me. And uh, let's read the text first. This is Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. And Jesus left there, and he went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. Man, everywhere Jesus went, crowds would gather. And again, as it was his custom, he taught them. And the Pharisees came up to him in order to test him. The Pharisees, by the way, were the perennial enemies of Jesus. They were the legalists. They were the extreme, judgmental, harsh condemning legalists of their day. And their 
tribe hasn't decreased. If anything, it's increased in most of the churches today. So they come and they ask to Jesus this question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus answered them, as he often did, with a question. What did Moses command? What, what does the law say? And they said, well, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And that's true. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, it says that if a man is married to a woman and he finds in her some uncleanness or for some reason to put her away, that he can write her a divorce paper and uh, send her away. And by the way, let me just say that women didn't have that right. In biblical days, a woman couldn't divorce a husband unless the husband actually permitted it. And it's almost the same as him doing it. And, uh, but uh, uh, unfortunately, women just did not have the status and position and rights in that day that women in America have today. And by the way, in most of the world today, women are still considered a, a kind of secondary in relation to men. And so in many, many cultures today, a woman still cannot divorce her husband, but a husband can put his wife away for just about any reason that he wants to. So uh, what did Moses command? And they said, well, uh, Moses said that uh, uh, that it was... He could write a bill of divorce. So Jesus said to them that Moses wrote this because of the hardness of hearts. In other words, because people's hearts were not right. And, and Moses allowed it. He said, you know, uh, I, I'll, I'll give you permission to divorce. But he said the reason that he did this was because uh, hearts were not right. Hearts were hard. And... Uh, and then he says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast, cling to, become one with his wife. And the two shall be one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And whatever God has joined together, let not man separate. This is the ideal. This is God's design. This is God's plan. And in the house, the disciples asked him about this matter again. And they said, uh, and he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. That's just a, that's a hard passage, isn't it? Okay, now let's just, here, I, I, I wrote down 11 things that I want to say about this today. First of all, I've already mentioned divorce in biblical days is very, very different than it is today. The second thing is that Jesus goes back to the biblical model. He says, look, I know what's going on in society. He would say that today in our society. I've married, by the way, probably over 1,000 people. In, uh, in my ministry, I mean, 500 couples. And uh, I would say that at least a third of those couples are no longer married. And uh, 
And all of those couples, when they got married, they intended for their marriage to last. They intended for their marriage to be happy. They intended to be a good wife, a good husband, and they intended to have a good husband and a good wife. But because we live in a fallen world and because we ourselves have hearts that can be selfish, self-focused, and hard, couples often reach a point in their marriage where more pain is experienced than joy and happiness. And there's more conflict than there is peace. And, and then they reach a point where they say, I can't do this anymore. I've had so many men and women say to me, I can't do this anymore. I've tried. And my wife is just, she is just so hard. And, or my husband, he's not even faithful to me. And uh, nowadays, I'm hearing so much women say, my husband is addicted to pornography on the computer. And, and I can't take it. I cannot be married to a man who is living in a fantasy world about other women while he's married to me. And I, I just can't take it anymore. And uh, so Jesus says, well, let me tell you, here's the way God set it up to begin with. And did you know that everything God set up, he set up the right way. And he said in the, in the original, God intended for one man to be married to one woman. Not multiple men, not multiple wives, not, uh, not a man marrying a man, not a woman marrying a woman, but a man and a woman coming together and binding themselves together in a covenant and loving each other for the rest of their life. That's God's design. That's God's plan. It's God's purpose. Now, like all the rest of things that God designed and planned, men have messed it up. Not just marriage, but just virtually everything. Everything that God designed, he designed it the right way, and he said, now this is the way it's supposed to be, but nothing is the way it's supposed to be. And people are not living out their life the way they're supposed to live it. And Jesus said, look, if we do it, if we could do it God's way, it would do two things. It would bring great glory to God. And it would bring the greatest joy to you. Did you know that if a husband is loving his wife like Jesus loved the church, laying his life down, laying his rights down, serving her, loving her, <clears throat> pouring his life into her, praying for her and with her, worshiping with her, and unselfishly giving himself to meet her needs, and a wife is looking at her husband and giving him great honor and respect and delight, and she loves to serve him, and she loves to meet his needs, and she delights in pleasing her husband because she sees him as kind of a representative of Jesus in her life. Man, if you have a husband loving his wife like that and a wife loving her husband like that, 
There is no relationship on this planet that is greater and more fulfilling than that. But how often does that happen? Not very. The truth is, when two people get married, no matter who they are, you've got two self-oriented people who are getting married many times with the idea, I'm marrying her so she will make me happy. And I'm marrying him so he will meet my needs and make me happy. And so you, these two people come together, both of them with their own kingdom agenda, personal kingdom agenda, and they don't have his kingdom agenda, and it won't be long until there arises conflict, difficulty, strife, and division in those two kingdoms. So, Jesus said this, the way God intended it was supposed to bring great glory to God and great joy, blessing to the couple. But, then I want us to think about the pain of broken relationships. You know, why? You know why I hate to hear preachers rail against divorce because it sounds like they're condemning people who have suffered through a divorce. That's not fair, is it? It's not right, is it? It'd be like going to a a place, uh, a hospital, where people had lost a limb and and preaching against uh, uh, losing a limb. Because did you know that When a couple gets a divorce, part of their own body is ripped off. That's what it's like. It is a painful, painful thing. And I have worked with so many couples who have gone through the pain and brokenheartedness of a divorce. And the verse that comes to me is how that God is very close to those who are brokenhearted. God is close to those who've suffered that horrible, horrible pain. And I, I can't think of any, anybody that has gone through a divorce that went through it and said, well, it didn't hurt me. No. I've sat and wept with many, many people over the years who have gone through the terrible, heart-wrenching pain of a broken relationship. But what Jesus is emphasizing here is that originally marriage was supposed to be permanent. And when I marry a couple, I always say to them, now, you understand, this is for the rest of your life. And they intend it to be. They, They say yes. But then we think about the purity of marriage because what does the word adultery mean? Adultery means impurity. If you have pure gold and you mix an alloy with it of some kind, then it is adulterated because it is no longer pure. And you know that God intends for every marriage to have the purity of heart, faithfulness, that so that a husband looks at his wife and says, you are the only person. For me, I will not be involved with any other woman. I will not flirt with any other woman. I will not uh, 
make any kind of inappropriate contact with any other woman. And I will not even look at another woman with lust in my heart toward her. And Jesus said, that's where the real problem lies, is that the inability of people to have a heart that is pure enough to fulfill that kind of commitment. That's the hardness of heart that he's talking about. So God intends for the marriage to be permanent and for it to be pure. But then I think about the pressures of marriage. And I tell you, most couples, they aren't married long until they start realizing this is hard. I married a couple down in Ovilla back several years ago, and the man would come in to see me after uh, within a year. He said, man, this is hard. It's hard to be married. And then they had a baby. And he'd come back, he said, this is real hard. Then they had another baby. And he'd come back and he said, I don't even know how to describe it. It's real, real hard. And I said, yeah, and let me just tell you something. Just to encourage you a little bit, it's not going to get any easier. It's just, it is hard. And I tell you, the truth is, the Christian life is hard, isn't it? Living a life before God in a world that is full of sin is just hard. And when a couple gets married, you know what happens? Two sinners are united in a bond and live together in a fallen world. That's what, that's what marriage is. It's two sinners. You say, well, now, wait a minute. I agree he's a sinner, but, you know, no. No, the fact is, when my wife and I got married, what it was, it was two sinners coming together, making a promise, entering into a covenant that we plan to keep, and only by God's grace we've done that. I don't know any couple that's been married. Well, there may be some, but most couples that have been married 10 years or longer could have somewhere along the way said, I've had it. It's over. Now, I know some of you say, well, not me. That didn't happen to me. Well, congratulations. But the fact is, it has happened to most people. When my wife and I got married, a lot of my family had been divorced. A lot of her family had been divorced. A lot of her family had been divorced several times. And, uh, So, I don't know if it was on our honeymoon or shortly after we got back from our honeymoon, she said something about divorce. You remember what it was you said exactly? I don't remember. It's been too long ago. But uh, she said something about, well, I guess, you know, if it didn't work, we could get a divorce or something like that. And, man, I, I don't get vehement very often, but I got vehement that day. And I said, look, you never ever, ever use that word in relation to us. You just never do it. You don't ever do it. And she said, yes, sir, (laughs) or something like that. And she never has. We never have since then. But the fact is there have been times in our marriage where 
because of the hardness of heart, we could have said, I've had all I can take. I'm finished. Now, I mean, are you agreeing with that, honey? Yeah. She says, no, not me. She, now, <clears throat> well, the fact is, most couples, when they've been married very long, they could say, well, it's not meeting my expectations. It's not happening like I thought it ought to happen. I can't fix him, you know, or I can't change her or whatever. And pressures, the pressure, the pressure of marriage. And then, of course, there is the possibility of divorce. What this points out to me is the failure of humans to be able to keep the law of God. Did you know that you cannot keep God's law? You say, well, I, I try. Well, that's good. You ought to try, but you can't do it. And, and the Pharisees were those people who thought they were doing it. They said, oh, yeah, we're keeping the law. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, oh, you think you're keeping the law? Well, let me tell you, you think just because you haven't uh, uh, committed adultery with another man's wife that you're keeping the law? He said, well, I'm telling you that if you even look upon a woman to lust after you've broken the commandment. They said, oh, well. And he said, you say, I've never committed murder? But if you even have anger in your heart towards somebody else, you've committed murder. And what Jesus was saying is, look, the law was never given to us so that we could say, I can be righteous. The law was given to us to make us have to say, I need a Savior. I need somebody to take my place, I cannot fulfill the righteous demands of the law of God. And we can't. And so as a result of that, Jesus said in, in marriage, when things reach a point, I give you permission. Even though it was not my original design, it wasn't your original plan, but I give you permission to give a divorcement, uh, a writing of divorce. But where does that leave us then? It leaves us falling on the grace of God. Listen, when I fail, I need at that time to say, God, my failure and my pain are a signal that I need your grace and God's grace is abundant. Where sin abounds, the Bible says, God's grace superabounds. It abounds even more. So what I say to people who have gone through the pain of divorce, well, I, what I don't say is I don't condemn them. I don't shame them. I don't pull away from them. I don't judge them. I rush to them. And I say, I know you're hurting, and God knows that you're hurting, and God is near to those whose hearts are breaking, and he's near to you, and God wants you to lean on him, to trust in him. His grace is there to forgive, many times to restore, but always to forgive and always to encourage. And then that leads the last thing is our need of grace in all of our relationships. 
Did you know that every marriage needs the continual grace of God in that relationship? We need to constantly be trusting in him. God, you have forgiven me. I can forgive. You have loved me. I can love. You have been what I need. I can give to meet the need of another. And when we fail and when our hearts are broken, we run to him and we say, I trust you to forgive me, to restore me, to use me, to bless me. And uh, that's true for every, every failure in our life. And I'm just going to end with the way I started. God wants the best for you. He really does. And every law that he gave was God's way of saying, I'm giving you this as kind of a fence to keep you within the boundary of joy and happiness and love. And uh, there's a thought that I'm trying to get out of my head, trying to get to the top of my head so I can get it in my mouth. I can't think of it right now. I was thinking of it while I made that last sentence, and it was real good, too. Uh, maybe I'll think of it here in a second. But, uh, but here, here is the point. God loves those of us who fail, and we all fail. We all fall. We all stumble. We all, we all sin. So how does God... Look at sinners. And why does God, this was the thought, why does God hate sin? You know, people say, well, you know, the Bible says God hates divorce. Look, God hates all sin in the world. But why? Why does God hate sin? The same reason that I hate rattlesnakes in my house. (laughs) That's right. I don't have any rattlesnakes in my house. But if my kids, my grandkids were all over there at the house some night and, and I heard a rattle and, and somebody said, there's a rattlesnake in the house, I would hate that rattlesnake. Not because, uh, not because it's ugly, although they are ugly, I think. I would hate that rattlesnake because of the danger that it posed to the people that I loved, right? Look. You know why God hates all sin? Because he loves us so much. He says to us, here are my laws. Some of them say, don't do this. Why would he do that? It's not so he can say, well, I know that'd be fun, but I don't want you to do it because I don't want you having it. No, 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 no. He says, don't do this because I love you so much. I want the best for you. And if you do this, you're going to hurt yourself. I tell teenagers, you know, they say, well, I don't understand why God, you know, God's always telling me I can't do this, can't do that. I said, you know why? Because God has the bigger picture and the longer view in sight. And he says, I don't want you doing things when you're, 18 
that's going to damage the possibility for you to have the fullest joy at 25. So every thou shalt not is God's way of saying, don't hurt yourself. And every thou shalt is God's way of saying, help yourself to joy. So I can understand when the psalmist said, oh, how I love your law. I love your law because I understand that it's for my benefit. I don't obey your law always, but I love it always. And I want to do what God says for his glory and for my great joy. So, any questions? I have a question. Does that all make sense to you today? That's right, and that's so true. Yeah, that's right. And and God just loves you so much, folks. I tell you, God loves you so much. And he says, I, I'm for you. I'm not against you. If God be for us, the Bible says, who can be against us? What can be against But God wants the best for us. But if things happen that we don't get the best, he doesn't throw us out. He doesn't turn his back on us. He rushes to us. God is near to those whose hearts are broken. God is close to those whose hearts are hurting. And if you have suffered the pain of a divorce, I want you to know this. God does not look at you and shame you. God does not look at you and condemn you. God looks at you and says, I love you. I want to help you. Run to me, not from me, run to me. And, okay, so you didn't fulfill the desire that you had and the design that I had. But none of us have. None of us have in all the areas of our life. And he says, come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened down, and I will give you rest. All right. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. And I thank you that your love for us is unshakable. And... I thank you that you have entered into a covenant with us that is unbreakable on your side. We often break our part of the covenant. But you never abandon us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. And I pray that you'll help those who have suffered the great sadness and sorrow and pain of a broken relationship that uh, they will run to you, that they will not feel cast away they'll not feel condemned but they will know that they are loved accepted and desired by you and I ask you father to help us even as a church to have hearts and arms that are open 
to those who hurt in any way, but especially to those who hurt in the way of having had a broken heart and a broken relationship. And I pray it in Jesus' name. you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.